Hey Goddess, welcome back to another episode of The Spiritual Gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Brandon. I'm the other host, Angel. And this is our twice-monthly podcast dedicated to exploring the wide reaches of spirituality without pretending that it all makes sense. Because we don't want to play you like that. Because nothing makes sense. True that. We are skeletons covered in flesh, imbued with spirit, running around on a planet that's hurtling at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour. So think about that for just a second. And we're back. <laughs> uh, we are husbands. We are husbands. If this is your first time listening. Yes, we're married. We are gay married. We got gay married in Joshua Tree over two years ago. We did. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Oh, yeah. So I am, as I said, I'm Brandon Alter. Uh, I am a healer and a tarot reader and a tarot teacher. And I'm also a writer and an actor and a seeker and uh, one of Noche's Doggy Dads. Yes, Noche's our little pup. And I am his other doggy dad, uh, Angel Lopez. I am a writer. I am a film executive and producer. And I am an astrologer. Yes, you are, girl. And we are very excited because we have a really awesome spirit talk to offer you all with Russell Brown. Angel's acupuncturist. Yes, uh, amongst uh, acupuncturists to many other people. He has an amazing practice here in Los Angeles called Poke Acupuncture, uh, which is not only a amazing spot to be treated, but is also just a, its own sort of beautiful oasis of peace and serenity. Yeah, I call it a space station oasis. Yeah, we say it's like a tiny little like cabin womb. Um, and I have asked him once if I could just rent the room out for a day, but he said, oh, no, I bet. Yeah, no. Uh, but anyhow, we're super excited to, um, share that with you all today. And we went long with it. So we're going to try to keep this first half pretty brief because there was just so much beautiful stuff that was talked about. Yeah. But so we're just going to do a quick little check-in with each other. How are you, Boos? I'm a mess, <laughs> but I'm owning it, which is nice. Yeah. Well, I won't make you delve too deeply into your messiness for the people, but share with us just, you know, a little bit of what's going on. So we're recording this and we're still in like the very last few days of Pisces season, but it will be airy season by the time you're listening to this. Whoop, whoop. And one thing we know about Pisces is that they feel things very deeply. And it's taken me right until the very end, but something has happened in the past few days, past week or so, and I just feel like I've been like opened up emotionally, which is not a place that I'm that comfortable or a place that I get to <laughs> that often. I think you've heard me talk about the fact that like Angel can just like sit down and just like make himself cry something out. He has that accessibility. Do it all the time. Cancer moon. Love it. And as a Capricorn moon, I don't have that accessibility. So when I feel that the portal is open to be in contact with my heart and to clear out what's been stuck in there, I've learned that I have to take full advantage of that portal. And that portal is very open right now. And so I'm just allowing it and just letting myself be emotional and easily moved by things. And uh, just like in a deep psychic soup, I'm having all sorts of like existential crises and esoteric what am i doings and that sounds like pisces season to me yeah well and i think you know you're not alone in that i feel like that because of the season and just where we're at i feel like a lot of people are sort of in that like intense emotional space where mercury retrograding through pisces as well so everyone is sort of mentally in a bit of what am i doing you know review so it's understandable. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I think it's good for, you know, even though you're an astrologer and I'm a healer, like we're not perfect people. Like we're not enlightened. We haven't like gotten it. You know, we have ups and downs too. Speak for yourself. <laughs> but I think it's always good actually, because I can only lead where I have followed. And so the more I can follow my own heart and my my own emotional healing, the more valuable I can be to my clients. And so that's what's up with me, girl. What's up with you? Well, let me just say, I think it's beautiful. And I'm so privileged to get to see you go through this process of like being in touch with your sensitivity. And I think it's only going to be 
more profound for you on other levels. Yeah. You know, the card I pulled for the for the center of my wheel this year was the Page of Cups, mm-hmm. which to me, the Page of Cups is all about like opening the heart. Cups being our emotions, the things in our life that flow. It can also be opening creativity and imagination as well. Um, some people think of the Page of Cups as kind of like a zany creative, but I really think about Page of Cups as like the integration of your emotional life into the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And so when I pulled that card back in general, I was like, oh, how beautiful. It's going to be your of heart opening but do you want to know what heart opening feels like it feels like open heart surgery you know what i mean like opening your heart is a beautiful process but it's a process that happens through mostly pain but we also know that like the degree to which you can feel pain is also the same degree to which you can feel joy and pleasure like Mm. if you numb yourself to pain you're also numbing yourself to joy so right that is the river of 2019 for me well, it's good, honey. It's inspiration to anyone who's listening out there to give yourself permission to feel all the things. Yeah. You know? To... If you want to feel better, give yourself permission to feel worse. Completely. You know? And if anything, just listen to Madonna's Open Your Heart. Because she'll make you love her. It's not that hard if you just if you just turn the key. What's going on with you, Chris? <laughs> Check in with me. You're doing well. I am doing well. Uh, You know, I got Mars going over my ascendant, finally traveling out of my 12th house into my first house. What does that mean, everyone? Uh, It just means that I'm out of the psychic soup of Pisces land and moving into Ariesville, which uh, which is where Mars likes to be. Um, Which is particularly significant for you because you're in Aries and Mars is your ruling planet. Yeah, so when coupled with Taurus, which is getting, you know, getting shit done, you know, actually building and manifesting, um, I'm actually feeling a bit sort of motivated to do things. And I'm definitely feeling in touch with the cosmicness that is going on and so much transition in the air and sort of, you know, stepping toward manifesting your greater dreams and visions. Uh, If any of you out there are also feeling sort of called to kind of step up and step into what wakes you up, what gets you excited in your life, um, now is a really good time to be sort of looking into those questions. And I think whether it's the spectrum of, yeah, being in sort of the the sadness or the stillness of that question or, or being in the sort of action, um, you know, mentality of it, um, all of it is necessary and honor where you're at in it. And at the end of the day, I would say always uh, find your way back to stillness uh, because that's obviously where the answers are. That's beautiful, babe. Thanks. So we're going to do a quick little mailbag segment because we had a really interesting question come in since the last podcast. And then we're just going to head right into the spirit talk. Hey. So we're going to open up the spiritual gaze mailbag. So this question came through the gram. Uh, BB Rod, I believe. Baby Rod. BBY dot ROD. <laughs> what I loved is that he said, greetings, Aquarius, hey. which I thought was cute. So he must be an Aquarius as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked this really beautiful question in response to our last episode all about Chiron. And he said um, that he looked his up and it's retrograde. And he's wondering what the retrograde element might add to the mix, meaning that he was born and Chiron was retrograde at the time. And it got me thinking about a larger question that a lot of you might be having, which is, what do I make of a planet, any planet in my chart, that was retrograde at the time of my birth? So my stab at this, and I'll get to Chiron in a second, but in the tarot, we have something somewhat similar, which is a reversed card. And when a card comes in upside down... It doesn't change the energy of the card itself, at least not in my practice, but what it does do is give some more information around it. Usually a reverse card signifies that either you are reverse to receiving it, either you're resistant or you're a little desperate for it. But I think in terms of astrology, uh, a reversed card is coming in in a way that you wouldn't expect it. It's a different costume than you're used to. So I think you might begin to meditate on any planet that's retrograde in your birth chart as a planet that's going to function in a way that it's not expected to function. So if we expect Mars to function as the planet of like your vitality and your go-getness, is that even a word? Go. Sure. Yeah, that it works. Now. Um, you know, Mars retrograde might mean that like you're somebody that takes your time. 
that you're slow to action, and that that's not a wrong way to have vitality. It's a slow burn as opposed to a quick burn. Um, we also might consider that a retrograde planet in your chart means that you're going to have like a more complex relationship with that planet. So it's like a graduate level course as opposed to just like your 101. So I would say Chiron retrograde is really about allowing the non-linear process of healing to unfold in your life. Because healing doesn't happen step one, step two, step three. Healing happens in a sacred spiral. That happens whether or not Chiron's moving forwards or backwards in the sky. But I think if Chiron is retrograde in your chart, it's really an invitation to allow your own healing process to exist outside of time and to trust that everything in your life is really conspiring to heal you. And you don't have to force healing. You just have to tend to it. So if you are willing to work with Chiron and say, I'm willing to begin the process of my healing now, as of this moment I am healing, then with Chiron retrograde, you don't need to plan how that's going to go. You can release it and just be assured that whatever's coming up for you in your life is part of that river of healing that's going to happen. If Chiron's not retrograde, you might need to be a little bit more conscious. You might need to organize it. You might need to schedule some healings. But I think Chiron retrograde is a really mysterious, uh, interesting, uh, a brilliant astrologer, Bess Matassa, who does readings for the Numa. She says, it's like a secret slumber party. You're having a secret slumber party with Chiron if it's retrograde. Or maybe any retrograde planet here. You know, if you got Jupiter retrograde, it's a secret slumber party with Jupiter. What about you, babe? What do you make of this question as our resident astrologer here at the Spiritual Gaze? Consider when a planet is retrograde in the moment. You know, we currently have Mercury retrograding. It asks us to slow down, review, and reassess where we're at, what we're doing. You know, to that, if you were born during a Mercury retrograde, you know, on one hand, it will sort of slow down that process a bit for you. You know, it welcomes you in for, in a slow and steady pace. Uh, you know, you have to be a little more um, heightened and aware around your thinking and also be a little more sensitive to yourself around it. So in that regard, if you're Chiron, placement uh, happened during a retrograde phase, then you have to be a little sort of slow and steady and even patient with your healing process and recognize that it's not going to just sort of happen instantly. Look, no one's healing happens instantly, oh, my obviously. Did. It just happened in a second. Are you here? You're oh, done? Oh, I'm here. I'm healed. Oh, bye, everyone. I have to go. All right. Well, I'm here alone, guys. Um <laughs> But, you know, the reality is that when you are sort of in a healing state in your life, um, you don't sometimes even recognize it or know it. So, you know, I think to some degree to have that Chiron retrograde energy does sort of make things perhaps, you know, slow down to the point where you have to kind of sit in it a little bit, you know? It becomes a bit more of an energy that is uh, playing a larger role in your makeup. Gorgeous. Love that. All right. Well, I'm super excited to just now get in. So shall we? Yeah. Without any further chit chat, here is Russell Brown uh, in this episode's Spirit, Spirit Talk. Talk. We're sitting here with Russell Brown, acupuncturist. We're so excited to have you here. Hello, thank you for having me here. He's actually your acupuncturist, isn't he, Angel? You are my acupuncturist. And if you've listened to this show before, I have referenced you a number of times. Yes. I'm always talking about the crazy experiences I have. Like when you light him on fire. (laughs) I do. Or reconnect him to his cosmic blueprint. I do like to do that also. Uh, Yes. It is my favorite. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I actually was just talking about the one this past week that I had where we worked on my hip. And I legitimately felt like there was like a bulb of energy just trying to protrude out of me. 
So I'm excited to learn more about this. Mm. <laughs> what creates that? Um, but yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank this you. This is for just like you. a very thinly veiled excuse for Angel to like probe you for more information. For sure. Exactly. Our, What's happening with me? Our <laughs> sessions are only an hour, and now yeah. you have me indefinitely. Unlimited time. Everyone's Correct. really interested in knowing about me <laughs> yes. and my body and how it works. Uh, but anyhow, uh, no, we're super excited to have you here because obviously, I, I personally like. I think I've known you now maybe seven. Something a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, having been able to go with you now and, and work with you for the last, you know, off and on for the last seven, eight years or what have you, I feel like I've learned so much about my body and how it responds to energy um, and just super curious, like, because I know you have a bit of an interesting story of how you even got to acupuncture. Like, how did that come to be for you? Because didn't you work kind of, everyone knows that I work in film didn't you work in film? I did. I started in film. I went to journalism school in Berkeley and or undergrad in journalism. And then I came back to LA and got a job at a film production company. And we did the Fast and Furious movies and we did Cruel Intentions and oh, we did oh, I know. What a dream. Coming back to theaters, by Is the it way. Really? I know. Yeah. What? Um probably I think it will already come out by the time this podcast comes out, but it's like they're doing like a one week. I think it's the twentieth anniversary. Yeah, it's the twentieth anniversary of Cruel Intentions. That actually makes a lot of sense because yeah. I had to see that movie with my mother oof interesting not the movie you want to see with your mother uncomfortable <laughs> yes <for sure. laughs> um definitely something for therapy later in life maybe it's come up. um and so <laughs> i had been working as a development assistant and then development executive uh for this company for uh, a number of years and then one day i was at breakfast at toast if you remember oh, toast remember back when everyone i know and it's still what it is which is not that great but we yeah. really loved it in like 2001 and you would wait in line for it which is insane yeah. it was like the first villa blanca <laughs> yeah, no. don't you dare don't you dare uh and i was eavesdropping on a table next to me and the young woman at the table next to me was talking about how she was about to start school to become an acupuncture and I don't know why, but something inside me said, I think that that is the work that I'm supposed to do. I had never had acupuncture before. I had never thought about acupuncture before. And so I essentially harassed this woman into talking to me. And she's like, she hadn't started school yet. So she really didn't know any of the answers to my questions. So she directed me to her school, which is Emperor's College in Santa Monica. And I went, I think that day or the next day and enrolled and started taking night classes while I was working days doing uh SWAT and triple X with Vin Diesel <laughs> and eventually uh, I quit and I was in full time at acupuncture school and that was um, many many years ago and then I think I got licensed and I got my license in 2006 or 2007 and then I've been doing acupuncture ever since oh my gosh so you're sitting there and yeah. like this little voice is like hmm, maybe that's the thing I think probably, you know, I think about it now. I don't think about it much because I don't really live my life that way. But yeah. I think that at the time I knew that my time in the film industry was coming to an end. And part of that is I love the film industry. I think that it's a great service. I think people work hard. They deserve to have two hours of watching a, a movie that takes them away from their life. And I have always believed that like service is really the what we're supposed to be doing with our careers. And so I like that part of it of being like, this is the gift is that you let people off the hook for their lives, which by the way, is what I'm still doing to this day is yeah. that is how I work now. And I, I think that that's really important. But the thing about the film industry, as Angel can test, is is that first of all, it is it becomes your whole life, and I think that if you really want to become successful, it has to be. And like I was looking around and seeing people who were succeeding, and it was like all of their friends were film industry people. Mm -hmm. They would work all day, then go to drinks with other film industry people, and I was like, I don't. I don't want to go to drinks with anyone. I don't want to go to drinks ever. And I don't want to see more film industry people. And so I knew that I was going to hit this wall of how much did I want this to be my life? And, um, you know, I'm a gay guy, so I have perfect boy syndrome. And I was like, if I'm not going to be the best, then why am I going to be doing it? How much am I going to be dragging my feet into this career? So I think that I was looking for a window. I was looking for a space to get out and to jump through. And this window opened and it was probably the first time ever in my life that I didn't try and over intellectualize and just, I just jumped through. And I don't know why I did. I don't know how I did, but it did. And it was, it worked. 
And as you were going through acupuncture school, yeah. did you continue to feel like this is so right? This is so right? Or were there challenges? Were there moments where you're like, what the fuck did I do? Oh, all the time. <laughs> the first time actually, I when I finally had to quit my job and like I was, I remember one day I had, I had been used to working in an office. I mean, you know, if you work a nine to five job, like your days are in your office. And so I want, then you are, listen, I'm in school, which is not totally full time. So I would have a lot of time on my hands, which was so weird. And in LA, having too much time on your hands, you can feel like one of those LA do-nothings who's like bumming around <laughs> calling themselves a DJ and saying that's your full-time job. Like that's not really going, it's not terribly self-esteem fulfilling for me personally, not to say if you're a DJ that you shouldn't be Shout fulfilled. Shout out to all our DJs. There are lots of DJs that I love and respect and keep doing what you're doing. But <laughs> I was one day, I was like at the Nike town in Beverly Hills, which I don't even think exists anymore, like returning a pair of shoes at like noon and like the... The sense of like, oh my God, I don't, I don't have a day. Like I have all this time. I don't work in, I don't work anymore. I don't work. And I just started hysterically sobbing in the Nike town. And that oh. was like this real moment of like, oh, my life is different. It's not going to be the thing that I thought it was going to be. And that was a that was a tremendous day. And those poor Nike town employees to see like a grown man <laughs> weeping in the Nike store. Probably not the first time they'd seen that. I'm but sure uh, <laughs> for whatever reasons, <laughs> lots of tights related drama in the Nike town causing tears. But that for me was a real thing. And And, you know. Like any career, every day you're like, is this what I do? Like, am I going to do this? Is this what I'm going to do? Like, really? And so I went through acupuncture school, which is four years, and it's a lot, you know, like you're in school, you're treating patients, it's your, it's, you know, it's a master's degree. And at the end, right before I graduated, I sat with my teacher. I had one primary teacher, um, and I think we had breakfast, and I sat with her, and I was like, is this what I'm going to do? Like, am I going to be an acupuncturist? Like real after all is said and done and I've done this whole program, like, am I really going to like do this work? Like she knew me very well at that point and she mm -hmm. had been an acupuncturist obviously. And she said something really beautiful, which is like the work that I'm going to do with patients is going to be the work I do with patients. And acupuncture is a great way to do that work. It may as well be acupuncture is what she said. Like whether or not I'm like a healer or a therapist or a body worker, acupuncture is a, is a really good umbrella for the work that I end up doing with my patients now. And so she said, you know, it may as well be, it may as well be with needles. It, the, the acupuncture itself is a great framework for whatever work I want to do. And I really took that to heart, which, and that's why I've been able to make the practice I want to have and do whatever work I want to do. You know, part of being an acupuncturist is, is you're a little bit of a counselor. You're a little bit of a body worker. You know, there's a lot of things that I end up doing with patients that, I get to decide what that is and I get to decide on a day-to-day -day basis really what I want to do with the patients that I have. And um, it may as well be acupuncture. And now I'm an acupuncturist. That's amazing. Can you talk a little about, just a little more about acupuncture sure. and like how it works? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming people are listening. Some have had it, some yeah. have never some, I think, get a little scared of it. For sure. Um, like, I'm happy to talk about it. I have to preface it by saying that I don't love to talk about acupuncture, uh -huh. which is why I'm a little hesitant to do podcasts. And the only reason I don't love to talk about it is because the experience of getting acupuncture is its own thing that I don't necessarily feel like words really can describe. And that's why when I have people who are like, can I come in and do a consultation not doing acupuncture, I'm always just like, just do the acupuncture. Yeah. It discharges some of the tension or some of the wonder of acupuncture mm. to really try and sum it up. But, you know, also my job is to sum it up. And so I can. <laughs> um, In your the, own words. The gist of acupuncture is, is that the medicine that most of us grew up with here in the West is based on you go to the doctor when something goes wrong in your body. And that's how Western medicine really has always been. And it's beautiful. You have a sickness, you go to the doctor and the doctor tries to correct the thing that happened. So they give you the antibiotic to kill the germs. You know, they do the surgery to fix the shoulder. The entire notion of it is putting out fire and eliminating pathogens, which is great. And I'm super thankful that Western medicine exists. I use it constantly. But the problem with looking at the body that way is, is that that medicine then is not equipped to look at the body as uh, something that needs help between things going wrong or equipped 
to deal with its own things going wrong. And that's really what Eastern medicine has always been about. Internationally, most medicine has been about this, is what can we do to make the body more efficient all the time, not just in the face of disease? And so what we're trying to do with acupuncture then is, can I get blood circulating properly? Can I get your body moving its resources to where they need to go? Generally speaking, most of us are healthy. Most of us have strong blood. Most of us have nutrients and are eating the things that we need to do. So can we get more oxygen to the parts of our body that actually are asking for attention? Can we get our nervous systems calmer? Can we get our stress levels down? Can we get our digestive systems improved and our sleep improved so that our bodies can do all of its other processes better? And that's mm-hmm. the basis of Eastern medicine. The body is trying to find its own balance. It wants to do that. How do we help the body along and not just respond to emergencies? And that's really what the medicine is about. Acupuncture specifically, there's a couple of ways of looking at acupuncture. There are the meridian systems, which is there's channels of energy moving through the body. There's 12 primary channels. There's eight extra channels. There's a bunch of channels. And the idea is, is that all pain is Energy is getting stuck on those channels. Blood is getting stuck on those channels. The circuitry is getting backed up for a variety of reasons. Stress, trauma, diet, a lot of things cause pain. A lot of things cause disease. And so the needles go in essentially into these channels. And it's my job as the acupuncturist to sort of figure out where these stagnations are happening, where there's a problem, using needles to create more blood circulation, essentially moving blood and energy where the stagnation happened, and then in other areas that assist where the stagnation is happening. And that is generally my job. I like to think of it more just in terms of simple blood circulation. You put a needle in, your body feels something. Angel, you'll attest, they don't hurt, but they don't not hurt also. I feel like you feel something. There's a little awareness. Usually it's like an O feeling, not quite an ow feeling. Sometimes there's an ow feeling. Yes. (laughs) Um, But your body goes, something is there. I've pierced the skin there's an awareness of something. And to investigate that thing that happened, your brain will naturally send blood to the needle. It is The needle is there to trigger the inflammatory response to move blood to where it perceives there to be a problem or something unusual. And that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to hyper-circulate your own blood. Mm. You know, Angel, you come in and you're pretty healthy. Your body is strong. It wants to fix things. And so it's going to flood blood to where it feels this micro trauma to be. And that moving of the blood will help heal a problem that has happened. For you, you know, you have hip pain. And so there's some blood that's stuck there. That's how you know it's stuck because you feel it. Everywhere else feels fine because everything is circulating everywhere else. But where you feel that discomfort, something, some pocket is has been able to stagnate. And whether or not that's because of trauma, whether that's old emotions, whatever it is, it's stored up there. And so the needle hits that pocket and it will either release the stagnation or it will push blood through that spot. And that's really all I'm trying to do. I don't take it any more seriously than that. I don't think I'm trying to heal anyone. I don't right. think that a miracle is happening, but I do think, what do I, how do I help this person whose body wants to help itself? How do I focus that help? And that's really what the needle is. I'm focusing your resources to the hair of a pin. And that's really what I think. I'm just pointing it in the right direction. Amazing. (laughs) Is there any, uh, well, the first thing I want to say is what's interesting about Eastern versus Western medicine is just like Western medicine is so compartmentalized. Yeah. Right. Like you go to the foot doctor. Right. Or like you go to like the butt doctor. Right. Right. Uh, I <laughs> but, love the butt doctor. I, I Eastern, love the butt doctor. I have to make an appointment with my butt doctor. <laughs> yeah. But in Eastern medicine, it's just the doctor. Well, it isn't, it isn't. You know, generally speaking, in in China and probably in Asia, there's less specializations. In LA, you're going to find specialized people. You know, there's mm. the cosmetic acupuncturist, which I don't do. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Is that to like get blood going to the face? Correct. And to plump up wrinkles and to sort of create more collagen in the face. Does that actually uh, work? It does, but it has to be done. It, it doesn't ever stop. It's not like a facelift where you're done after one treatment. You're right. constantly doing it because the wrinkles want to come back right. because that is the way gravity wants. And that is the way the aging process wants. And so it doesn't. <laughs> Until they stop aging, you can't stop doing the acupuncture for that, but you do notice a difference. And and you should, right? Like the needles are literally going into wrinkles and they are moving blood. Like I said, you're creating 
fluid behind where the needle is. And so it's going to push that wrinkle up a little bit. Um, but the problem with doing those treatments for me is I'm always like looking at my patient, like, where do you think you have a problem? Like, I don't want to talk to a person that way. It doesn't, it's not terribly emotionally satisfying to be like, oh yeah, this terrible area behind your eyes, we have to fix right. that. Yeah. Like <laughs> for sure. that's a real dicey way to be like, I know your sagging face is really an issue for me. And we're going to get to the bottom of this right now. Now, like exactly. if my day became that, it would be a very long way to spend my time <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I hope better things for you. Yeah. But so there are specializations in Los Angeles. I don't personally specialize, um, but there are things that I'm better at treating than not treating for sure. And like, and I have, you know, a lot of women come in for fertility stuff because acupuncture is so great mm -hmm. for fertility stuff. And I don't really prefer to do a fertility patient because I think it's such a specific uh, it's such a specific specialization. And I, those people who do fertility acupuncture, they go to school, a different type of school altogether for that. And I am so happy to refer them out. It's also personally very stressful for me I'm because sure. I don't have a menstrual cycle. And so when I have a woman who's trying to get pregnant and that emotional process around getting pregnant as a gay man is so foreign to me, mm -hmm. but I am very, very sensitive to it. And it it's, it can be incredibly heartbreaking and I just can't really, um, it's just not, uh, it's not a, a world that I feel that comfortable in. Um, I support women trying to get pregnant in a lot of other ways, but when it comes to like, you know, the very specifics of fertility, I feel like they're go to a specialist for that. As an acupuncturist, you have to learn over many years that you're not going to fix every single person and it's not your job to fix every person because if you think it's your job to fix every person, you're going to be heartbroken and stressed out every day, which is how most acupuncturists spend the first couple of years mm. is thinking that they suck because some backs can't get better because you're re-traumatizing your back on a daily basis. Sure. Now, my job is to say... That's weird. I've moved so much blood. It doesn't feel as tight, but it's still or, or it's still tight. How could it be how could it still be swollen? Why is it why are you getting re-traumatized? What is happening in your life that is re-traumatizing your back when you actually leave here and feel better? And then I see you in a week and it's back to being bad again. And so then we have to be like, when is that trauma happening? Is it happening first thing in the morning? Well, probably your mattress sucks or you're sleeping on your stomach, which people over 30 really shouldn't be doing. Um, P.S. People over 30 should not be sleeping on their stomachs. Uh, There's your hot tip. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anyone that sleeps on their stomach. No, weird people sleep on their stomach. It's super comfortable. What I do think you do with your face? You I've, crank your I neck to the side yes. and breathe up, which is why those people have bad shoulders and bad necks, but they don't want to do it because I it do. feels super comfortable. And if you like that oh. feeling of something on your belly, that's a great way to sleep, but your body right. can't do it after a certain age. I wow. did for a while until I started I started you. yelling at you yeah. because I was like, you're old. Those days are done. You know, uh -huh. you can do that when you have a bendy spine and tons of synovial fluid. And now you're a dried up old man and you can't be sleeping on your stomach anymore. That's so you really, sleep on your yeah. side and you hold onto a body pillow and you pretend that it's sleeping on your stomach, but that's really what it comes down to. And so that's my job. A lot of it is the investigation. Where's, where's it happening? What's happening? Is this a CrossFit thing? Like, are you just, <laughs> are you a fitness idiot who's just hurt yourself over and over again? Or is something else going on? And half the time that's the job, right? And that's why I like my job because it is an investigation. It's not just, it's not just wham, bam, and I'm fixed, you know, like I don't, we don't, I don't really do that. There are people who do that. Right. Um, well, it's interesting for me too, just again, as someone who's been a patient of yours, like you use the word investigation because then, and we also talked about the emotional component yeah. of it. It becomes a very emotional experience for me most of the time yeah. as well. Once the blood starts moving, yeah. sometimes the tears start shedding yeah. as well. What is, I mean, cause you said it's sometimes trapped. Yeah. Emotions, but yeah. how does that, how do you sort of intellectualize that? Well, first experience? of all, it's not everyone. Right. And you are an emotional, you. you're an emotional yeah. type. So there's I, going to be emotion in there, but you're also very connected to your body. And, you know, that's beautiful. That's how it's supposed to be. I also have other patients who want nothing to do with their body. Mm. They want to feel nothing. They, ex they expect the experience of having a body to be the feeling of nothing. These people we call heterosexual men. <laughs> Just kidding. But there is a lot, the different, the, I do think there's a difference between men and women. And I think women are used to having to have a bit of a, a relationship with their body. Right. They don't get, women don't get to go through their lives feeling nothing. Whereas I feel like most men can pretty much make it to about 50 and feel nothing. And men typically think that health is, I want to feel nothing. I, I don't want to have the experience of 
feeling anything in my body except gas. Gas is the only feeling that I should have, and otherwise it should be numbness. And women know that that's not a reality. And so there is just a natural sense that like sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't feel it, sometimes there is and there isn't. That was an aside. The question was about the emotions. Emotions are one way that energy gets stuck in the body. In Chinese medicine, each organ houses a different emotion and it houses a different component of the spirit. So the emotions are going to get stuck in the body in different ways as they relate to these organ functions. And so you see that where the stagnation is, is oftentimes an emotional component of that organ function. So it, per, and for instance, anger is uh, housed in the liver, we say. So oftentimes when there's a stress component, when you get a lot of liver pain, a little liver stagnation, as we call it, it's going to come with a lot of anger. And oftentimes the needles will bring out some of that anger, you know, sometimes sadness. It's really grief that's trapped in there. And grief is a component of the lungs. So a lot of heart stuff, a lot of chest stuff tends to be old sadness that's in there. And sometimes it's joy. You know, I have patients who I hear laughing when they have the needles in because that's oh, what wow. comes flying out and that's what's housed in the heart, as you might expect, right? And so I will hear, I, I will hear through the door, I'll hear what I think is crying. And then I go and check and they're actually laughing to themselves because it's like trapped oh. joy that has been stuck in there. And it delights me, obviously. And that's it's so sweet. so sweet. Yeah. And you see those people they're joyful people and that the acupuncture, some of it is just the physical experience of having a body. You know, those needles go in and like I say, you suddenly feel your body, you feel parts of you that you haven't felt probably since you were a little kid, that you haven't had attention put on, that you haven't had circulation to and stuff's there. Old memories, old traumas, old feelings, they come out and it's lovely and they need to come out, you know? And for you, especially Angel, I don't know if it's revealing too much. <laughs> I like to push that stuff out. I want you to live consciously and I want you to be connected to sort of all the stuff. And so a lot of the work that I do is about saying, what else is in there? What have you tucked away? What have you hidden? Mm -hmm. What have you said? I'll deal with this later. It's too threatening to my self-esteem now, my self-identity now. So I'm going to hold it until I can. And now I'm like, you can. So let's mm -hmm. do it now. And that is often where we go is because I know you're a person who wants to live an examined life. And I know you're a person who is, you know, transitioning in your life endlessly transitioning, but especially yes. <laughs> transitioning now. And so I feel like what better time, you know, if you're looking for some direction on what the next thing is, where you're going, then why don't you undercover it all? Why don't you be in all of it as much as you can instead of saying maybe later? I don't, I don't believe in maybe later for you, particularly other patients. I think maybe later is great. And I'm very much about not now. Now's not the time, <laughs> right. maybe later, but I don't think of maybe later for you right now. And do you think the more people come for acupuncture treatments, the more sensitive they become to what's actually happening during the treatment? That's a great question. I think mostly yes. And then sometimes no, I have had patients who I can't crack them at all. Sure. And they don't want to be cracked. And well, it's not my it, job right? to crack them. The willingness of the patient. Totally. The yeah. Utmost. And also, you know, and whether they're a match for me or whether we're supposed to be together, I think has some of that to do with it. But, you know, if you've been a longtime patient of mine, I would say at some point you've cried with the needles in. Like right. if I don't have a lot of patients. I have a lot of old patients and I don't have a lot of patients who haven't had some sort of emotional experience to what we're doing. But also my particular style is to go for that stuff. And I do other things to encourage that. I put headphones on. I'm going to play you music. I'm going to put an eye mask over you to sort of disconnect you from the world. And that's part of it is, is that I want you to feel, I don't want you to have um, so much of your own narrative going. And I'm trying to encourage you to feel a little bit more. That's yeah. just my style. You also do these like sort of almost like incantation like moments right before you put the yes. headphones on. I give a little suggestion depending on what we've a talked about. A poetic suggestion. A little poetic suggestion, sometimes more poetic than others, but I do kind of feel like it's my job to like, I'm pushing a rowboat out to sea and I feel like I want to mm. give it a good push. And so that is, that's my 
particular style. And, you know, like there are patients who I can't do that for because I have nothing and I don't, and I feel nothing and I can't create that out of nothing. So Mm. for you, I feel connected to you. So like oftentimes I can give you a pretty good push knowing where I want to push you. And I have other patients where I have no idea. And I also know they don't want to be pushed. So Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to push that boat out there. I'm going to stick some needles in you. I probably won't even put the headphones on those people. And (gasps) yeah, and and they don't want that. So it's my job to sort of gauge that for patients. Do you have any sort of rituals that you do to clear yourself of, I mean, you must have, how many people do you see in a day? Lately, it's been a lot. It's a lot of people and it's a lot of stuff and it's not my stuff, you yeah. know? And so I do. And um, I walk to work now because I moved my office and now I walk to work. But back when I drove, I used to just go in the car and cry. And that would be a good no. way for me to do it. Yeah. And it wasn't sad. It was great. Yeah, it yeah. would be like, it was the only way I could release it. I'd come home. If I didn't cry, I would come home and my boyfriend would be like, you have to cry because you're holding on to too much. You could tell, like, I just couldn't get comfortable. And one of the things that I learned from another practitioner was this is going to say make me sound like a real hippie, but I go on the way home, I touch every tree mm. because I heard the trees don't mind. And so uh, you can kind of like <laughs> let it go. So I sound like I look like a crazy person when I walk home because I'm literally like giving like a real got to touch every tree thing. And if it's been a real doozy of a day, I'll do two hands on every tree, which yes. is how you know I'm a lunatic. But that's one of the ways I do it. And it doesn't always work, by the way. I still come home and I'm like, that was a hard day. And mm-hmm. And I have hard days, you know, it's a job. It's not Well, I just like... want to tell our listeners that uh, Russell is holding a crystal <laughs> yeah. that we gave before we recorded this. And that is a tree. That's petrified wood. Totally. So that's an interesting. It's the way. Right the trees don't mind. They don't because they yeah. know how to purify energy. They do it on their own and they don't need, they, you, they, you know, they got that bark, you know, their bark is thicker than mine. And so right. I believe it. And they also don't know Angel or how crazy he is. So when I give them over Angel stuff, they're like, oh, another human, another crazy But I think it's human. even like- I've never made you cry. <laughs> you don't know. Have I made you cry? <laughs> if you like give your energy to the ocean or you yeah. give it to the dirt, it's yeah. like the earth knows how to purify totally. energy. It's yeah. neither good nor bad. It's yeah. just energy. Yeah. And that's how I was taught. So it's like you do it that. So I do two hands on trees- Give it, and and I think just the ritual of saying like I need to let you go, like I can't be taking this home with me, mm-hmm. um, I can't. That's great. And it would it it upsets me too much, you know. Like when I'm holding on to that stuff, I'm agitated. I can't sleep, and it's not it's not great for me. And it's outside of my pay grade. Is I feel like to like have sleepless nights is I do not. I'm not paid well enough yeah. for that. Yes. Right. Yes. As are we all, by the way. No <laughs> one deserves insomnia unless they're paying you so much money. It's crazy. Ugh, yeah. True that. Yeah. Um, I'm so fascinated to hear you talk about that, your relationship with trees and things of that nature, just ritual, because I feel like you are someone who has a soulful, spiritual nature, but isn't necessarily, you know, in quotes, spiritual or has a, or feels some kind of way about in quotes, spirituality. But I would assume you don't necessarily consider yourself spiritual. Um, I privately consider myself spiritual, (gasps) but I don't publicly consider myself spiritual. Like I think, I think there's nothing more in just painful than hearing a a spiritual person talk about being spiritual. (laughs) So I would never say that I'm spiritual in any other company besides this company, frankly. Like I just think like, oh my God, please make this conversation stop if you start talking about how spiritual you are. And unfortunately, the three of us happen to live in Los Angeles where if you talk about right. spiritual, you are automatically, <laughs> like the image is amplified. just like a real like, you know, Coachella situation that I can't even really <laughs> deal with. So but I, you're wearing a flower crown right Obviously, now I have a, a Native American headdress on, which I didn't realize until this very moment was cultural appropriation. Apparently in 2019, that's news. We weren't going to uh, say anything. Yeah. Um... I'm not actually wearing a Native American headdress, uh, but I I do think that I'm a spiritual person. I think that, you know, anyone who is who thinks there is more to be felt than seen is living a spiritual existence, right? Like if you believe in anything besides mm. what your eyes tell you, that is spiritual. Like I really think, and like tweet tweet. I'm just gonna tweet tweet that <laughs> anyone yeah. who yeah. believes there is more to be felt, felt than, than seen. seen, yeah. That is right. Like, yeah. And unfortunately, we live in a culture right now that really wants us to see things. You know, all of the imagery is 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 supposed to be what's real. And I can't take any more 
images. I can't take any more things to see, but I can always take more things to feel, which is how I know that's realer for me. And so, and a lot of my work then, especially with my patients now versus my patients when I first started out is how do we separate out all of the stuff culture wants us to digest? It's too much. I'm the Instagram and all of the stuff. It's the the politics. How much could we possibly process? How much more information can my brain take in? How much more am I supposed to try and understand? How much more am I supposed to be able to look at and understand what it actually is versus what they're showing me? Like all of that digestion, I feel like is at a max for me. I can't do it anymore, mm. but I can always feel more. And mm. so that is really what I'm trying to do. And again, that sort of harkens back to what I said about acupuncture. I'm more, I only care about the feeling. I don't care about the talking. I don't care about the information. I I really don't. Even to some extent, all of my poetry and all the pushing you out to see stuff, those are just words too, right? Like mm-hmm. I can't make that real. I can't make that mean something if you don't feel it when the needles go in and when I cut you off from the stimuli of your life and your nervous system drops down. That's what I want. I want the feeling to be what you're left with. And that's to your point why my studio looks the way it does. I'm trying to evoke feeling. I don't care about anything else, basically. And that's the whole point of it. And that is spiritual, if you want to call it that. Again, it's disgusting, but that's the word I would use for it. It's also tremendously countercultural. Because the thing about all the Instagram and the news, it's like consume, consume, consume. And then numb, like consume other things to help you cope with what you've totally. consumed here. Yeah. And it's all a distraction from the feeling or yeah. from what I always call like the other world, which is in this world. A hundred percent. Like the, the invisible world isn't someplace you go. It's yeah. here now. Right. You just have to attune yourself to right. it. And everything in culture is saying, please don't. Please yeah. don't. Yeah. Well, because How that's about where, this? Because that's where our power is. Yeah. The other thing is, and this is one of the things that I love about being acupuncturist, is that everything about acupuncture is in defiance of the modern world, right? It's a throwback to 3,000 years ago. The whole point is, is that it doesn't exist now. It didn't need to exist now. It actually was created before the age of reason, which is so hard for people to understand. And that's why people think that they don't like acupuncture or that it's stupid or that it's really woo-woo. It just was born before all of science as we know it existed. And so, of course, Mm -hmm. it's going to feel totally false and not real because it doesn't care about your personal understanding of how it works, which is really hard for in a culture that's all about more information and more science. And what I'm saying is, can we soften those didactic edges of science to allow space for wonder and mystery, which is where acupuncture lives. And that is what I like to do is I like to say, it's all poetry, right? It's all soft. It's all quiet. And it's all awe. And that's what I want to do. And some days I do that and some days I don't. But that's what I'm trying to do is I'm saying, let's cut out all of the buzz of the neon modern life that's saying speed, volume, productivity. Let's go back to the opposite of those things, which is slowness, stillness, quiet, yeah, softness. So what do you think that is? Is that just like fear, like <laughs> manifesting all of I mean, obviously there's all things that feed it, but is it like a collective fear? I mean, I can't, I don't know specifically. I was just reading about terror management theory. Do you know terror management theory? No. It's like, there was a book called the, I think the worm at the core. And it's basically like, we're all afraid of dying. And so all of it is about just like trying to medicate ourselves from the fear of dying and how we do that is our lives essentially. And that that's the worm at the core is that we don't know what comes next. We're all trying to fill in the hole. We're all living with the anxiety of not understanding how that transition works. And so everything else is the medication for that anxiety. And I think there's some of that. I really do think there's a lot of that. Um, I also think it's just the human nature is that we think we're supposed to predict the future. We are, you know, the way the nervous system works is the lion is coming over the mountain. Do I run? Do I fight it? I have to decide really quickly. And I am negotiating all of those options simultaneously. And so my nervous system is heightened. I can't get it to calm back down because most of us live like the lion is always coming over the mountain. And I think that's a great short-term solution to a problem. And most of us Probably anyone listening to a podcast in 2019 lives like that's their life every day. And 
and we have to figure out a different way. We cannot live like the lion is coming over the mountain all the time. And that's why I'm glad my patients come to see me is because I think that coming to an acupuncturist is saying, I need to find another plan. I got to get a new way out. I Or at least I need an hour where the lion is not coming over the mountain. <laughs> and that's my job. And I, and I actually, and I think there's some truth in being like, if I can get an hour off from feeling like my, I'm in fight or flight, I think you will feel better. I do think that, I think that alone feels better. And what do you do? I know that you're a desert junkie. So I'm I know a desert you junkie. spend some time out there in I the do. desert. Yes. Uh, what else? I also, I like to go for walks. I don't like to exercise. I wish exercise did it for me. It does not do it for me. I resent the exercise. <laughs> I don't enjoy the whole thing. Uh, I need I need more ways. I go to acupuncture. I have my own acupuncturist. Oh, okay. Yes, he is a very nice guy who thinks that I am a law clerk because that's what I told him that I am. Shut I don't want to talk about acupuncture when I'm not totally. talking about acupuncture, and I don't want him to think that I have a position or that I have an opinion on anything he's doing. So I told him I was a law clerk because people do not have a follow-up question when you tell them that they are a law right. clerk. I learned that from my <laughs> film industry days is that someone told me, don't say you're working film when you go to a party because people want you to read a script, tell them you're a law clerk. And so I just adopted <laughs> that now. Um, one time he asked me what kind of law and I said environmental law, which I have no idea what that is whatsoever, but that really halts a conversation to a complete stop. We got lucky. He could have been like, oh, great, I have this bog. Uh, or whatever. Louisiana <laughs> that I've been trying to figure yeah. out. You're like, I think he actually knows what I am, but right. he indulges me in my deception, and so I enjoy that. <laughs> that he's fine. as He's an adequate acupuncturist. He's not anything special. He does not give me poetry, and that is perfect for me because yeah, I'm yeah. all out of poetry. Right. Um, I write a lot. I meditate quite a bit. I spend a lot of time with my dog who I find to be incredibly healing. Um, I spend a lot of time with my boyfriend who I feel fine to be sometimes healing. Uh, <laughs> Tell and, me about your relationship with the desert. How long ago did you, you have a house out there, right? I do. We bought a house a couple years ago out in this very, very beautiful wildlife preserve just outside of Palm Springs that no one knows about. It's a secret little wildlife preserve. Don't say There's only me. 30 houses. You're never going to find out what it is, but I love it out there. And we are working on fixing it up and we're making it nice. And it's just, I got an acre out there. It's, it's inside the mountains. It's just quiet. It's so quiet and it makes me realize how loud everything else is because mm -hmm. when you're out there, it's just quiet and I like mm -hmm. that quite a bit and I need it to be quiet. You know, like at the end of the day, I'm an introvert and it's really hard for me to be with people all day long. And people ask me like, what's the hardest part of my, my job? And that really is like, I'm not always prepared to be intimate with strangers all day long. And I don't exactly know how I ended up with a job that I do that because it's not necessarily my constitution. I assume it's part of the curriculum I have to learn in this lifetime because it's so cosmically hysterical and mean that I ended up with this job in certain right. ways. But so, and most days I'm cool with it, but I have certain days where like, I'm not in the mood and I don't know what to do about that. And we don't talk about that professionally. Acupuncturists don't talk about that because we're supposed to be enlightened and we're supposed to be loving, I guess, which is not really my sense of how I am. But I do um, have these days where like, there's not, there's nothing there and the well is dry and it's because I've been with people too much. Mm. But unfortunately that my schedule doesn't know when those days are coming. And so I have to really take care of myself those days. I also can't fake it because that feels worse than not faking it. And so I been faking it. So I don't, I don't and years later, I still don't know how to reconcile that. So I have to get alone time just to recover a little bit. Sure. Do you sometimes feel though, I know this is my experience. Like if I have a day and I've got a couple clients, but I wake up and I'm not feeling my best, mm -hmm. my first inclination is to cancel those clients. Yeah. But my teacher always said, you will feel better having seen those clients. Yeah. So even like before recording this podcast, I'm going through some difficult things, but like just being in the presence of other people and getting out of my own shit sometimes. Yeah. It's the solution. It really is. It, to an extent. And then you mm -hmm. have 18 patients and you're like, that was five too many. <laughs> um, totally. But definitely. And when I was in acupuncture school... I was going through some emotional stuff. A friend of mine passed away and I was a wreck for a lot of that. And I would come into the clinic and just look terrible. And my teacher would say, go treat a patient, go treat a patient. And then she'd be like, you look like yourself again. And I knew that. And that's how I knew I was going to be fine with this job actually yeah. more than anything else is we were like, oh, the work fixes me, which by the way, is the secret for all of us. We only do this work because we need to be fixed. And so 
when you find the work that fixes you, mm. that's the work you're probably supposed to do. You know, like that's why therapists are often good at their jobs because they need fixing and then they do that work and they get fixed. But right. like, that's the trick. You want that to be the thing. It's not that you want your job necessarily to fulfill your creative goals. I think you want the job that makes you feel like yourself again and gives you back to yourself at the end of the day. And this job, by and large, does that for me in a way that I think probably most jobs would not, although I do think I would be equipped for other jobs. This job really does do that for me. Yeah, the idea that your work in the world is that which returns you to yourself. Yeah. So that when you're not working, you have the reserves to do the other totally. things. It would be amazing, right? Like that's yeah. the thing, which by the way is is also unattainable. And I feel like you say something like that and everyone who listens then feels shitty about their job. And I don't think that's the case, but I do think you're trying to find some component of the work that you do that does restore your humanity. Oh my like, gosh. I yeah. think if people started to think about their livelihood from that perspective, it would actually free them up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, sort of that helped to fix you, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. So, well, how would you say that doing this job has helped to fix you? I mean, I definitely, I grew up, I grew up with lesbian moms who were not tender. I care for them dearly and they're mm. amazing <laughs> and you should all just meet them because they're wonderful, but they're, neither of them had a terribly, were a terribly, are, are terribly maternal with me. Uh -huh. They much prefer my brother. Uh, which I think is crazy because I'm a delight. Uh, but they. Well, I don't know. We haven't met your brother. And they, no, he's 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 a he's a rotten rotten person. Uh, he's great. Uh, but they. The, you know they resented my sensitivity. I think, and they didn't get why I was complicated, and they didn't get that I felt too much, and they didn't get that. Uh, that my special needs actually were beautiful. And they like, you know, I grew up in a house where you'd be like, oh, my stomach hurts. And my mom would be like, oh, poor you, poor you. Because mm. that's how she was raised, you know, like these mm -hmm. are like, you know, sure. she was from the Bronx. So <laughs> I think that I needed to get that sensitivity is good. I think I needed to get that tenderness is nice and tenderness can be healing. I think that I needed to really get a dose of like, there is an outlet for your sensitivity in the world that is actually super, super valid and super valuable. And someone else will find great, great value in being soft with the world and seeing too much, maybe feeling too much, maybe. And um, I needed to know that. And I, and I get that now. And people still don't like it, but more often than not, people like it, and I wouldn't change it for the world. I just want to talk real briefly about your book. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you read my book? Yes. No way. I loved it. I forget that people have read that book. I wrote it so long ago, and it's... like I knew you had it, but then I was like, I wonder if he read it, and then I was like, oh, I wonder if Brandon even read it. Yeah, but you need to sign my copy. <laughs> I will. Will you just talk a little bit about the inspiration behind that? Sure. And I wrote a book many years ago. It's called Meditation 1814. And <laughs> it is a a very an introduction to the idea of meditating. It's called Meditation 1814 because I was like, what do you name a book about meditation that doesn't sound totally obnoxious? And you can't. Everything about meditation sounds obnoxious because if you hear anyone talking about meditation, they're automatically obnoxious and it's going to make you challenge your own you know, self-worth and compassion. So you should not talk to people about meditating because it's just going to make people feel terrible. But for the purpose of this podcast, we'll talk about it. Anyway, my boyfriend is like, well, what rhymes with meditation? And then he's like, rhythm nation. So it became sort of this running joke that it was this sort of rhythm nation inspired book about meditation. And the reason I wrote it is because so many people are out there with very crazy misconceptions about what meditation is supposed to be. And I was bending over backwards to try to like undo a lot of those misconceptions. And so it started off as sort of a little pamphlet and then it just sort of, I started writing more and more and more and it just became this book. I, I think I probably wrote it like, gosh, seven years ago now. So I forget that it even exists in the world, <laughs> but it's, I actually, I picked it up a couple years ago and it's still a lovely book. Yeah. Um, and it's basically like, you know, we, we come at meditation with this idea that we're, every time we meditate, it's supposed to be relaxing and we're supposed to be Zen and we're supposed to feel good. And none of that is true. You know, like meditation is an opportunity for you to pay witness to your, the own contents of your mind, which are going to be crazy. And so like you, this idea that you're supposed to have no thoughts, I think is insane. And like the, people think that they're supposed to sit there and just have nothing coming through their head. It doesn't exist. Like unless you've had a stroke, you're going to have thoughts come into your head. <laughs> and 
I don't want you to have a stroke, so I want you to figure out something else. And that's really what the book is about, is that meditation is the long-term training to be to not be responsive to whatever you're thinking, to get some distance from whatever thought comes up so that you start to be like, I don't have to just be in a constant state of reactivity, Mm -hmm. but it takes a long time to do that. That is long-term training to say, the thought is here. This is me having the thought. This is what that thought looks like if I'm further away from that thought so that when the stressful thought comes into your life, when you're out in the world, you don't necessarily go to your first reaction, which is often not your best reaction. And that's all meditation is. It's hard to do that though. And it's like they say, you know, like your mind is a bucking horse and the way you break a bucking horse is not to tell the horse to calm down. You put the horse in a pen and just watch it buck. And that is what meditation is. So if you're having a very stressful time meditating, you're doing it correctly. If you are wild and flailing and hating it and resentful, that's good. You did Mm. the right thing. That's the correct job. And that's really what the book is about is like, again, why don't you back off this expectation of what you think meditation is supposed to be and like wondering why it's not relaxing and consider the possibility that what's not relaxing about it is you doing a great fucking job. And that's why I wrote the book. I've got like a question that I'm asking these days. And I'm just curious, like, What's really lighting you up? Like, what's got you excited about life right Mm. now? Hmm. I took a class on death and dying. Oh, yeah. We were talking about this. Um, From a Chinese medical standpoint, because, you know, part of the thing with having different spirits in the body is the spirits all go to different places. And I have always had a bit of a death anxiety. Uh, Since I was a kid, I've always been really afraid of death and used to like keep me up at night and terrified. And so I was like, I'll take this class and it'll either make my death anxiety a thousand times worse, or maybe it'll make me peaceful. It didn't know there those things. But uh, my takeaway from it is, is that in looking at the difference between how the end of life in the West versus end of life in the East, end of life in the West, particularly around religious institutions, is a lot about, you know, the last rites come in, the priest comes in and tries to forgive you in Catholicism because they want to make sure you're a good person so you can go to heaven and like have that afterlife experience, meet God, you are absolved. Because so much of the West is about virtue, right? The emphasis is on were you good? Where did you go do good in this world? It's subjective. It's nonsense, but it's what it is, right? Like that's how you get to heaven is, is that you're a good person. In the East, they don't care about virtue. You know, Buddhism does not care about whether or not you're a good person. For Buddhism, the central issue is, did you do your life's work? Did you complete your curriculum in this lifetime? Did you finish your business? If you didn't finish your business, we none of us finish all of the business, which is what informs our karma in the next lifetime and why you get sent back in the next life is another thing. But if you did what you didn't finish, are you peaceful around? Do you understand why you didn't finish it? Do you are you able to let go of your earthbound experience enough because you have some resolve around your unfinished business? If you can't, if you feel sort of unresolved and you feel angsty about the unresolved business, you turn into a ghost essentially. One of your spirits stays behind when all your other spirits leave, and that's what a ghost is trying to fulfill that work. But the real issue is. We don't know what our life's work is. We don't know what the curriculum is as we're living it. People who are searchers like ourselves are at least engaging the questions. And I think that's really important. And and that is what I've sort of been germinating on since I've had this class is how you how everyone can go about starting to ask themselves those questions, knowing that they're never going to get those concrete answers, what that looks like, how you engage that discussion in earnest, because I think it matters that much. I think it matters so much more whether or not than whether or not you're a good person. I think thinking about what was I born for? You know, you could have been a born a flower. You could have been born a bird in this lifetime. You could have been born me. You could have been born him or any other person, but you got born to your specific parents in this lifetime on your chart for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. What is your curriculum? How do you fulfill it? How, what are you doing on a daily basis to move yourself closer to that curriculum? And that's really what I am now trying to sort of focus my life around. It doesn't, the rest of it doesn't necessarily matter to me anymore. I feel like that's the question, right? Like, I definitely believe like I have a reason for being here and I'm still relatively young-ish and I have to start to get to that process for myself Mm -hmm. because the rest of it is sort of nonsense. And I do believe that like, 
the energy that guides me in my life is the same energy that hung the moon in the sky. And I have to um, start to treat that gravity with that sort of in seriousness. That's so beautiful. Yes. I know nothing about Chinese medicine, but I have heard poetically about the Ling and the Shen, uh-huh. like the inner heart and the outer heart. And uh, you're the only Ling is sort of destiny in that way. It's ah. like your curriculum, the endowment of heaven into you as you were conceived. It comes out of the Big Dipper and it pours out into you and it goes into the top of your head, which is why the fontanelles the fontanelles don't close right away is because you're still getting the Ling, basically. Mm. And so that is sort of like the big Shen versus like the individual Shen is Got kind it. of what it comes down to. That's my understanding of it. I'm not so seasoned in that and I probably should be. I mean, some, you fooled me, girl. Because I'm an acupuncturist <laughs> going to listen to this and yeah, say the other thing. Yeah, I know. But I always love when you – because we've talked about that before in some of my treatments and I always love that because it, it it connects to the, like the astrologer in me. Totally. That's sort of downloading the like – For sure. Blueprint. And that's what they say is that in the Big Dipper, that's the hall of records is stored in the Big Dipper right. for whatever reason and it's all coming from the North Star. And when you die, the the – Hun, the spirit of the liver, goes back up out of that top of your head and goes back to the, the Hall of Records, which is where your karma is decided in the next lifetime. Mm-hmm. You get that new blueprint. Exactly. Obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I could talk about this for 75 years. Yeah, this was so fascinating. Thank you so much, Russell. You're so welcome. I hope it was interesting. Uh, I always feel like it's so boring. It was terrible, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. <laughs> edit me. Edit me to sound smarter, please. No. I mean, look, you're a wizard. It's fine. Um, and very special. All right. So now it's time for our tarot card of the week. And, um, Brandon's actually, he got in his deck out. He's ready to go. And he's going to have Russell actually pull the card with his left hand. And of course, this will resonate for everyone listening at the time and place when you're listening. So Russell pulled the two of swords and swords speak to the realm of the mind. So swords are like the stories we tell ourselves. And the two of swords, really interestingly, is the contemplation or the meditation card. No coincidences that you were talking about that. But really, um, when I think about the two of swords, if when I design a tarot deck, it's going to be two bulls with interlocking horns right in the center of the card. This idea that like two opposing forces equally match, the right decision is to not make any decision. Hmm. That sometimes... When you're feeling most compelled to make an action to do something is really the time to withdraw and to observe the place from which you're wanting to make that action. And my little spin on the two of swords is that really what you're meditating on is like the old story of your life versus the new story of Mm. your life. Those are the two swords. And so I would just say for anybody who's tuning into this podcast today, the homework that usually comes with this card is to just sit down and get quiet and see if you can crystallize what are some of the old stories of your life. Stories like nobody likes me or nobody understands me or it's always got to be hard or blah, 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 and realize how deeply those stories have kind of run you for so long. And then the fun part of the homework is to start to generate some new stories. Like you talked about how like you're here to like be of service or you're like here to help, you know, to find a job that like I'm employed in work that fixes me daily. But to give yourself a really big headline, like the title of your movie, a story that you really believe in that can guide you forwards. So um, really beautiful and resonant message for everybody. So thank you for playing that card, Russell. All right. Well, Russell, we really want to thank you for being here. This is my really pleasure. helpful and lovely and exciting to hear everything about uh, acupuncture because I always just wanted to know so much more about it. And it wasn't enough to just get, you know, a few minutes of your time when I see you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. So where can people find you if they want to? The My website is pokeacupuncture.com and I'm on Instagram, but it's like complete nonsense, but it's also pokeacupuncture <laughs> and it's really like just dumb. But like also hysterical. I don't yeah, know what you want to say. I completely enjoy What does one say about one's Instagram account in 2019? Now when I schedule with my acupuncturist, the subject always just says poke me. <laughs> it's good, right? Yes. Yeah. I think she, she's a Pisces. She appreciates it. Yeah. Uh, all right. We also want to thank um, our neighbor Carl for all of his work on producing the show and the spirit of being our spirit of technology. Yes. Or at least in communion with the spirit of technology. Hells yeah. A big thank you to Justin Simeon for the interstitial musics. And our biggest thank you, of course, to all you beautiful gazers out there for giving us your hearts and your ears and opening up to this offering. We are so grateful for you. And if you have a moment to leave us five stars or a review on iTunes, it in this age of technology, it makes a big difference so that people can
can find this podcast and that these sorts of beautiful spirit talks can be spread more widely. So we would really appreciate that. Yeah, so many of you have gone out there and do, uh, done that for us uh, in the past couple weeks and it has been wonderful. So thank you. And you can leave us reviews. You can also find us uh, on Instagram at The Spiritual Gaze, Twitter at Just Spiritual Gaze, uh, or you can find us at thespiritualgaze.com. And until next time, this has been your orbit in the The Spiritual Gaze.